Good morning, LCM. Good morning. Today's date is August 7th, 2022, and our title today is Cadence. Everybody say Cadence. Cadence. A cadence is a beat. It's a time. It's a rhythm that happens that sets almost like a metronome inside of your heart of what God is doing. You can think about like in the military, a drill sergeant calling out a cadence. I don't know what I've been told. So you do know what a cadence is. The other way that you can have is a steady cadence of war drums that are going on. And that's what's happening inside of this house is God has his cadence that is going forth. As a corporate body, we've been engaged in a unique time of expanding vision and the resulting reprioritization that is required to fulfill that vision. Our great and glorious king has given us insight into his plan, and we are responding to his marching orders. This morning, we want to tell you that we are at war. Our king has set the target, and it is the transformation of the nations. Each of us has been assigned to this great task, and it will take every member operating in their full God-given capacity. Come on. Did you hear that? It will take every member operating our full capacity. Amen. Do you want to operate in full capacity as a church? Yes. Well, in our midst, the King of Kings has spoken through various forms that he is raising up leaders from the families in this very room. He's making a way for the harvest that is coming and preparing us to be able to handle it. We have tiers of leading men who know how to teach, how to train, and how to aid in the transformation of others. Come on. LCM, you are men of this caliber. And men of this caliber are only made in the fires of adversity and difficulties. Difficulties of many kinds. We should not be surprised that in the face of so great a call, there is a corresponding opposition from without and within. Saints, I love our church. That you can have a man lead Kaddish in his testimony is about the suffering of God and the hope of the resurrection it's putting inside of him. Listen, next time you wake up sick, which is a guaranteed probability if you attend any LCM service, if you wake up and your back hurts, your feet hurt, just groan and say, thank you, God, for reminding me of the resurrection of the dead. See, because our hope is not in this life, we are engaged in a holy mixture, a recipe of sorts that God has been revealing to us, teaching us about. It is in the most desperate of moments that the good deposit, man, that deposit really begins to shine in those moments. That's when it reaches its truest effect in our own souls under the pressure of adversity. Today, we're telling you up front that life, well, it's not going to get easier. We're telling you up front today, everything is not going to be okay. No, instead, we will become that much stronger. We will be forged by the heat of trial into the men, into the families, and into the teams that we are called to be. The more pressure that is put on this body, we say, all the better. Because we know that what will ultimately be produced in you... Well, it will only serve the kingdom's purposes because you're that kind of people. It is in the desperation for the king of kings that we really begin to find the armament of heaven, just as the disciples learned in Luke 11, man, to pray, to pray with some holy audacity and faith. 
Look, we are learning to beseech the throne of God for the will of God on earth. We will do it every service until we see healings. We will do it every service until we see the gospel break out. This is because we are freeing ourselves of all concerns other than the will of God. Church, we have all been called out of darkness by the same holy God, and we've all been called into his glorious character that is found within his glorious word. Can somebody say amen? amen. Do you want to be men of his glorious word? Yes. I, I, I don't know if they're quite with us yet. Do you actually want to be men and women of his glorious word? Yes. Well, then it is incumbent upon us to let you know that the adversary has plans as well. He is raising up officers of his own. And as it is with all crops, the weeds tend to grow faster and seem to be more abundant. However, we say, bring it on. Come on, say that with me. Bring it on. We will measure our quality against the quantity of the enemy's puppets any day. We seek the harvest that comes only from the Lord of the harvest. And we will not be satisfied with hellish alternatives to true peace and true right order. We are in the weed-killing business, and business, business is, is good. good. More than that, we are in the crop-growing business, and business is also good. Come on, pick up with us this morning in Exodus chapter 14, at the birth of a nation called out of darkness just like you. Say cadence as you're turning. Cadence. Exodus 14, verse 6. So he had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots. Best ones. Along with all the other chariots of Egypt. Not the best ones. <laughs> with officers over all of them. So looking at this passage, realize that you're not the only ones who have heard the call to arms. Come on. The prince of this world is coming. He is gathering his charioteers, his officers, and he is ready to make war. All of this, however, is just part of Yahweh's plan to make officers out of us. Spurring us on to rise up. Unwittingly, the enemy is being used to expose areas inside of us that need transformation. And our king is gifting that transformation liberally to those who ask. Now, Pastor just said, gifting it liberally. Has anybody experienced what we just described? Where the enemy is unwittingly being used to show you where you need to be transformed? We want to hear a praise God in this house. Because our king is giving liberally. Liberally. So, with that thought in mind of liberally, unlike our own federal government, the gifts given liberally by our king, they actually retain their value. <laughs> no superinflation. Although it is true, both in this economy and in God's economy, great gifts are given to those who have not really worked for it. Both economies, it's true. However, in God's economy, it produces something. It produces transformation. It produces empowerment. It produces holy living. Instead of inflation, entitlement, and the enslavement of our generations, 
to China. Yeah, that's a really good word. War economy. These are the days of the Lord's favor. And it is time that we ask for the armament of heaven to come upon us. Our king possesses a weapons cache that far exceeds the supposed amassing of assault weapons held by right-wing, conservative, evangelical terrorists. The very ones who oppose the true light of the Brandon administration, or better yet said, adding of menstruation. You know what we are, church? You know what we really are? We really are a dangerous bunch of disciples confronting danger. Hallelujah. You want to know what else we really are? We're really a dangerous bunch of men who don't care a damn about their own lives. Hallelujah. A dangerous bunch of disciples creating disciples. We are dangerous to the enemy and any satanic agenda that seeks to oppose us. Are you dangerous, church? Look at verse 8 with me. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites. And praise God for the pursuit. Praise God for the pressing that produces something in men of God. It produced in them a marching out boldly. Boldly. Goes on to say the Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen and troops, they pursued the Israelites and overtook them at the, as they camped by the sea near Pirath, opposite Baal Zephon. Saints, we want to tell you this morning, it's true, you were once slaves. And you had, at one point in time, grown accustomed to the ways of Egypt. But in this church, we are marching out boldly. Somebody say, marching? Marching. Boldly. Boldly. So you're going to find out there is no other way to march in the kingdom of God. He has one cadence, and we are marching out from the lingering control of Pharaoh himself. The moments that we feel as if Pharaoh has overtaken us are actually our greatest turning points of deliverance. We are learning to cling to that good deposit, to cling to the word in these moments. And it actually becomes the best of times for us. The literal Hebrew for marching out boldly, well, it is to move out with your hands held high. As in, uh, with a flagrant disregard. Like, come get it, Pharaoh. I'm marching where he told me to go. Saints, what you thought would crush you, what the enemy believed would break you. All of the things that were intended to bury your faith, well, they're only serving to purify you in this house. Our qualification comes from God. Somebody say, I stand with him. He is my qualification. Come on, who in this house has had satanic opposition, but you have not been crushed? Who has had satanic opposition, but you have not been broken? Who has the attitude that says, oh, come get it, Pharaoh? I want to pick somebody that can demonstrate what it looks like to march out boldly with hands held high that says, come get it, Pharaoh. I can't think of one other than Spencer McLean himself. Spencer, won't you stand up? Hold your hands up high. Do a lap around here and say, come get it, Pharaoh.
Come on. Come on now. He's still running. Come on, with that image of Big Spence running around here with his arms held high, go to Exodus 15. Or at least as high as he could get him. Go to Exodus 15, verse 2. Come on, somebody say cadence in this house. Exodus 15, 2 says, The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. He is my God and I will praise him. My Father's God and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Amen. Church, I have a question for you. How do we know that the Lord is our strength, our song, and our salvation without needing the strength of God and the salvation of God to be put on display? Come on. See, you have no song of deliverance without needing the deliverer. It is these days that we are in right now of holy contemplation of inward inspection, these days of eliminating the lingering Pharaoh in our lives, our families, and our teams, that produces a revelation. Oh, come and on, that man. revelation is, the Lord is a warrior. warrior. Not just a warrior in general, but as Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 20 and verse 11, the Lord is with me like a mighty warrior. Yeah, he was. Come on now, a mighty warrior with me against Pharaoh's control. A mighty warrior with me against offenses. A mighty warrior with us against false expectations. A mighty warrior against fickle devotion. A mighty warrior, warrior even against the fear of failure. A mighty warrior against the Pharaoh of your own inability. Come on, that's good, isn't it, church? So once again, to put it another way, you have to be put in the pit of despair to know what it is to stand on that lion and get yourself back out of it. We are, and we will raise a body of priests who are mighty warriors. Come on. Ones that are fashioned after the character of our God. This kind of fight and revelation, it is necessary as a precursor to seeing the vision of God fulfilled on earth and more pertinently fulfilled in this house. So let's go to verse 27 in Exodus 15. Then they came to Eliam. Come on. Where there were 12 springs and how many palm trees? 70, 70 palm trees. And they camped near the water. So how many of you have known about the significance of Exodus 15, 27 for years now. Raise your hands. I have. Namely, that God has called us to raise up 12 domestic churches that would then go and reach the 70 nations of the earth. So come on, church. Are you the Aswan team? Yes. You know that you are. Well, let's put this in perspective. Over the last 30 days... How many of you have become deeply acquainted with your own inability to see this vision fulfilled? How many of you have actually grappled with the requirements that you have recently awakened to? What you must rise to, and you're wrestling with the fulfillment of it? Saints, the task at hand is coming into greater clarity, greater focus to finish this project. This great work that is like the temple before us 
We're all finding out together that it will require far more devotion than we were prepared to give originally. Going beyond our finances, beyond a few sacrificial evenings in a week, going beyond the levels of sacrifice, repentance, and frankly, transformation that we believed we needed in years past. As a ministry team, we can tell you personally, not speaking to you alone, but us personally, we have loved the Lord a long time. In fact, there's over 200 years of born-again Christian living between your ministry team's members. But in this specific season, more than at any other point in time, we can feel our God urgently demanding, promising, assuring, and calling for growth and personal adherence to the Word of God. We can feel His demand, His call, and His assurance of our family's growth and devotion to the standards of God. And in the way that we conduct ourselves as a ministry team, teaching the Word of God both in speech and by example. See, what Pastor Judah is speaking about for the entirety of the leadership team is the result of us genuinely drawing closer to a holy God. As we, like Isaiah in chapter 6, increasingly respond to the call of God, it produces a cry in us for a supernatural cleansing. The times in our lives as a body that we have been marked by the least repentance. Although in those moments they feel pretty good to our flesh. Those were the times that we were least valuable. We were least productive and the least dangerous to the enemy. But as a body, we are growing accustomed to what it means to march out boldly to yeah. be at war. To be at war with Pharaoh in the world, but much more importantly, the Pharaoh that is within us. There's a secret that you are beginning to learn and that will be evident in every area of our lives. When we win the internal battle against the desire to uh, have already arrived. Yep to be at a point of completion, to look over sin. It is impossible. Somebody say impossible. Impossible. For any external battle to overcome us. Now we're going to visit an old treasure from Solomon that is taking on new meaning in these days of daring adventure for God. Turn with us to Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 24. Say cadence as you're turning. Cadence. I want to try this one more time. I don't know what I've been told. I don't know what I've been told. I'm going to march out with or to be bold. <laughs> I had it. I had it. It was close. We're going to refine that. <laughs> Proverbs 10:24. What the wicked dreads will come upon them. But the desire of the righteous will be granted. Our king has given us a desire for a holy vision to be completed. For officers to be raised up. Harvesters to join the work. And a crop of nations gathered in God's storehouse. Right alongside that holy seed is the ever-present dread of the process of transformation. Come on. I'm talking about the Pharaoh-like dread, the one that confronts you every time you attempt to break free from ancient sinful habits that you have had while in Christ. We're talking about those enemies that survived the blood of the lamb on the doorpost, the ones that seek to limit your usefulness to this very day. Those Pharaoh-like moments only unwittingly serve to highlight 
that which we must give all, that much that we must sacrifice all and expend all in order to see transformation in us. Look, to help you understand this concept a little further, as a ministry team, we have a bit of an unorthodox saying between us. It's called reverse validation. The concept being when your flesh, your soul, which is made up of your mind, will, and emotions begin to scream because all of the power of hell would prefer that you just left this particular issue alone or guarded yourself from the piercing light of God's word, well, we consider that kind of moment to be a giant highlighter from God saying, aim here, this must be transformed. Yes. See, when godly men who have faithful tenure in Christ are no longer sober in their emotions about a particular subject, it lets us know that we cannot back away quietly, but we must confront the darkness with the light of God's word. A man, a family, a church that desires the will of God enough to go to war with all that resist, well, that kind of man, that kind of family, and that kind of church can know that it cannot be overcome. Amen. See, the will of God will be granted to those who desire it above and beyond all other priorities in life, including their human concerns for family, including their human concerns for security, including their human concerns for acceptance or prestige. Saints, we, like the one true Prince of God before us, cannot be bound by the trappings of this world because we no longer care a damn for this world. It shows up in every decision that stems from our homes. I submitted to a team. You're proving you do not care for this world. It shows up in every area that we could live and let go. But instead, we demand transformation Amen. until the very day that we die, finishing in glory. It shows up in every area that we choose to be in this world, but no longer of this world. Saints, we want to turn to a glorious example of the Word of God made flesh and put into action. Starting in John's Gospel, yeah. the 14th chapter and the 30th verse. John chapter 14 verse 30 says this, I will not speak with you much longer, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold on me. But the world must learn that I love the Father and that I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. Church, we are saying to you this morning, come now, we must leave the practices of this world behind. The sinful trappings of yesteryear behind us. All this, though this world may be swayed by its current prince, it must learn that that prince has no hold over us. Church, we've been born again into a long line of priestly warriors, men who are able to exact violence upon sin and sinful thinking and are yet able to lay our lives down time and time again to see the will of our Father completed in his precise instruction. In fact, the very temple that our great king laid his life down in was constructed by men who understood what it was to heed the call of God and to go to war with their internal adversaries so that they could complete the external work. Are you guys being stirred to go to war with your internal adversaries? Man, that has been something God has been working on for years, but ramping up in these most recent days. We can feel and see the evidence of the Spirit of God stirring us to rise and meet the call of God. John 6 says that no man comes to Christ unless the Father 
draws him. And this is done by the Spirit of God. Many have mistakenly believed that was, that, that was a moment of isolated salvation alone. But the reality is, no man can continue to come near a holy king without the spirit of holiness drawing him in. The spirit of God is stirring us up. The spirit of God is drawing us closer to God, and it must result in holy action as one body and one team made up of many members. Can't you see how much God is interweaving our lives together? That the victory and success of one is the victory and success of all. And the opposite is true as well. Caving into the internal enemies of one affects all as well. Haggai chapter 1 and verse 13. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you. I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God. In response to the stirring of the spirit, the people did not delay the rebuilding by wallowing in their own self-indulgent despair and just soaking in their lowly position. Nope. No. Instead, they trusted in the Lord and particularly trusted in him to transform their condition Hallelujah. so they could stand back on their feet, stirred by the Spirit of God, and begin rebuilding immediately. This is instructive for us today. When we unify with the vision of God, who is a warrior, he becomes a warrior inside of us. Come on. Our unity with him brings his character inside of us. A warrior against every internal and external enemy. In fact, you know the rabbis, they had a unique name for God. In, this, in, in, in a passage. They actually call him the master of war. And particularly the master of war because it is impossible for the enemy to overcome or overthrow him. Come on. Saints, when you're considering the greatness of our God, he is both a redeemer, a deliverer, the song of salvation, and the master of war in Exodus 15. But more than that, he can be all of those things inside of you. Haggai, by the Spirit of God, will go on to promise that the glory of the house that is coming would surpass that which came before it. Saints, we are excited for victories long since won in this house. Many of you have benefited from those numerous victories that are hung around the wall. But they are nothing. Somebody say nothing. Nothing. Nothing compared to the victories still in store for this body. We will see healings in Indonesia. We will see men born again and set free here that are trained into ministry. Today we are beating the war drum. We are saying it is time to march. Time to get into rhythm. Get into pace with Yahweh Almighty. Amen. Because he is on the war path and he will be a warrior inside of you. 
Galatians 5 verse 24 says that those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Saints, I love that that is presented as a final event. But the reality is we must do it again and again until we reach the resurrection of the dead. But saints, you just heard that the desires of the righteous, when men align their desires with God, they will be granted. Verse 25 says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Oh, come on. Another way to say that is to match his cadence. We are his army, church. He is the one who sets the pace. And he is also the one who will empower us to match that pace. Verse 26 says, let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. It has always been the internal adversaries that are the real issue. But today, somebody say today. Oh, today. Today we put them underfoot. Are you with us, church? I mean, are you really with us today? We are glad that you are, because at this place, we're concluding our introductory comments at 29 minutes, and we would like to move on to the sermon that we have for you today. They think we're kidding. (laughs) We're being honest. You will notice that as we pick up in Exodus 16 and 17, the same cadence, the same marching of God's direction is going to increase. This process produces desperation in the men who follow, and leaders are birthed from it. We have a slide to help you to understand and to begin to get this larger concept. The slide is entitled, Leaders That Are Birthed. It begins in Exodus 16.1, which you can turn in your Bibles with and join us there if you'd like. Cadence as you get there. It says, they set out from Elim. And all the congregation, somebody say all the congregation, congregation. of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of sin, which is between Eliam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness, as you will eventually see on the slide that will be on the screen, Exodus 16 Immediately after having the Elium revelation, all of the congregation lands in sinful grumbling. All of the congregation lands in sinful grumbling, falling prey to internal. Somebody say internal. Internal. They fall prey to the internal enemies. The war on the congregation of God has always been primarily fought between the ears of the men who are called to form God's leadership. It's an internal issue. As an additional noteworthy point, you may notice that the frustration caused by losing this internal battle was directed not at themselves, but rather it was directed at their two leaders of Moses and Aaron, who were the ones who were fighting for the congregation's growth in every way. However, we really are happy to say that Israel did not stay there. God was building something into the people who would join Moses and Aaron as leaders. So as we progress in this slide, there is a progression that we will notice of expansion. So Exodus 17, 5. And the Lord said to Moses, everybody say Moses. Moses. Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel. Come on. And take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. So notice that as we progress in Exodus chapter 17, 
that they are still at war with the internal enemies of fear and disillusionment. But this time, the Lord directs Moses to bring elders along with him. In comparison to the previous passage, it's just Moses and Aaron. But let me ask you something. Where do you think the elders came from? Amazon? No. Uber? No. The elders came out of the very people that were previously giving way to their internal enemies. These elders were raised up out of their previously immature behavior into mature leaders of the congregation. Hallelujah. Mature leaders helping the rest of the congregation win the same battles that they faced alongside of Moses and Aaron. Although Israel was still deeply struggling with these internal battles, they were beginning to turn the corner by clinging to and replicating the word of God that was being given to them. So to make sure we're getting this, Exodus 16, just Moses and Aaron, all the people are grumbling. Really, really unfortunate situation. Yeah. Exodus 17, they're grumbling again about different things. We just didn't include that part on the slide. But they're beginning to get it right. Do you know why? Because God is raising up out of those grumbling people men who will mature and help lead Amen. alongside Moses and Aaron. Amen. Now, Exodus 17, 10, five verses later, this is where it really starts to get good. Moving forward into this same chapter, our first two examples were internal enemies. Exodus 16 and the beginning of 17. But now something's changing. Here in verse 10, we see Israel marching in cadence with the heavenly armies of God as they engage in holy combat with real external enemies. Saints, this has only been made possible by first putting the foot of, their foot on the neck of internal enemies. Notice the way that they've gained victory up to this point in time. We have Moses and Aaron. They're still there. They're still being faithful. And they're standing in unity with an elder of the community. And they are collectively representing God as Joshua, with his hand-picked warriors, yeah. go out to battle together. See, there's an increasing cadence in the chapters of Exodus. There is something that's picking up pace, that is building in strength and momentum. As you go from Exodus 16 into 17, as the believing community learns to get and stay in step with the Spirit of God. See, they're reflecting God's government on earth increasingly as God develops them. Increasingly, and the effect is that more ministry is multiplied than ever before. Church, he who has an ear, anybody have an ear in this house? Should see what the Spirit of God is doing among the churches. We, like Israel, were bought by the blood of the Lamb. We, like Israel, have marched out boldly from Pharaoh's initial control. We, like Israel, have come to a revelation about God's plan on earth, like Exodus 15, 27. And now we must put down the internal enemies by rising to meet our collective function and transitioning to crushing the external opposition. Amen. Come on now, church, as you see the progression just straight through the linear 
uh, written text that's here, you're seeing verse after verse. And as more and more men are able to handle the internal battles, the leadership team, the officers that are there begins to grow, and God is able to do more and more and more with his people. Look at verse 18, uh, chapter 18, verse 21. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God and who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs. Somebody say chiefs of thousands, hundreds, fifties, tens. See, now we come to a place in Israel's history that you may be familiar with, but you've not yet understood the pathway. Exodus 18 is the result of putting down internal enemies as well as the external enemies by rising to the call of God, not as individuals, but as an increasing team enforcing God's government on earth with qualified officers in place. Come on. on another day, maybe in another sermon, we would talk to you about Exodus 19 as these same officers and leading men become priests to the rest of the world. But for now, it seems good to the Spirit that we focus back in on how leaders are actually born. So as we, we covered these passages... You know what came to mind as I'm standing here? Is the Peshat in Deuteronomy 8. It says, it's the Lord your God who caused you to hunger and to thirst. So that you may know that man doesn't live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Think about where we have been as a church. That the hungering and the thirsting has been caused by moments of desperation. Why are these things coming up in my marriage now? Why are these things coming up in my kids now? I thought we were past this. I thought we were done. It's because God's greater goal is to use desperation to deal with the internal enemies. Because what's at stake is the victory over external enemies. God has always been in the business of birthing leaders through desperation. And business has been good. We got a slide for you. Relating to leaders birthed through desperation. It'll cover Genesis 14, Exodus 3, Numbers 25, Judges 6, and 1 Kings 19. Each of these passages should be familiar to you if you've been at LCM more than a year or two. If not, you've been sleeping. (laughs) Wake up. We want to begin by highlighting a few overriding themes from the lives of Abraham, Moses, Phineas, Gideon, and Elijah. So the first one, as seen in Genesis 14, Abraham's leadership was birthed through the difficulty of foreign armies pressing upon his family. Come on. We know that through the New Testament writing that Lot was a righteous man, and yet somehow we imagine that Lot's behavior was often difficult for Abraham to have to deal with. Paquito. But like any good shepherd, Abraham rose to the occasion. Come on. Rescuing Lot and leading the men who God had entrusted him with. These difficult moments served to deepen the revelation that the Lord was a warrior. And more importantly, that he was a warrior inside of Abraham. Hallelujah. Causing him to rise and whistle for his 318 trained men and go reclaim what had been stolen. Many of you 
may have noticed what happened inside of Abraham. It did not just stay inside of Abraham. It was transferred to his entire household that God was a warrior inside of Abraham, and now God was a warrior in his entire clan. You see, this produced men who knew how to fight, men who knew how to lead in the same way that God had produced something special in Abraham and in the nation that came from him, Israel. An increasing number of men who knew how to fight and lead alongside Moses is what we saw in the pattern from Exodus 16 up to 18. Come on, can you see the grumbling, disparate group of uselessness in Exodus 16? And then just a few chapters later of continuing to put down the internal enemy's leads to an organized military of God that will enforce God's commands. So this pattern is not unique to Exodus 16 through 18. It's the pattern of faithful men. Have you ever considered Moses himself, the guy who started leading all of this originally, the one life that was changed that created a nation? Well, Exodus 3 makes it clear. Moses was on the backside of a mountain. Staring at the backside of sheep. Feeling like he was on the backside of a raw deal with Pharaoh. And as God ordained calling to liberate Israel. For like a week or two, right? No, No, it was in these desperate circumstances that the great deliverance of Yahweh became Moses' deliverance. He was delivered from his own internal enemies that held him captive for the previous 40 years in a desert. It was from these circumstances that a song of salvation was birthed for the whole nation. And the leaders that you already know arose after him. Come on, church. How many of you want to be a leader in this house? Leaders are birthed through the desperation process. Think about Phinehas in Numbers 25. His defining moment was birthed when he clung to the word while all others around him wallowed in sin and despair. This created a desperate moment for this one son of a priest. But the Lord was not just a warrior to Phinehas. Come on. The Lord was a warrior in In Phinehas. Phinehas. And he made Phinehas into the kind of warriors that we all want to be. Priestly warriors who are able to go through the desperation. Who are able to fight the internal foes and be able to be victorious both internally and then externally. This established a line of leaders that would come after him. The reason these men's lives are so close to the heart of this church is because God is seeking to put you in the same desperation. Amen to that. God is seeking to put you in the same desperation so that you might rise to create the same type of leaders that you're seeing around you. This is an officer training school, and officers are made through difficulty. This is how an officer can lead other men into battle and see them find their own song of salvation. Amen. Next in our list is good old Gideon. And you know what's true? We're often hard on good old Gideon. I am. I am as well. Why? Because his life didn't finish well, and his testimony is marred with faithless moments. However, we would all do well to take stock of the fact that we have had many faithless moments. Can I get an amen on that? Okay. And yet, by God's grace, we are still here today. 
We're still here able to be transformed Hallelujah. and have the character of God deeply embedded inside of us. You know, Pastor Wade asked earlier, who in this house wants to be leaders, wants to be officers? Show, don't nod your head. Show your hands. I want to see some boldness about this. Okay. Gideon's story began in desperate circumstances that the Bible defines as so oppressive. So oppressive. The Bible is not a book for the faint-hearted. No. Nor is it a stranger to difficulties. When Judges 6 says the phrase, so oppressive, you should expect extraordinary deliverances to then follow those so oppressive events. Gideon, although by his own words, was the youngest of the smallest and the least. The Lord certainly became a warrior inside of him. And he clung to what God had revealed to him. Soon, there were 300 officers out of the thousands of Israel that were willing to cling to the word and the revelation just like Gideon did. I love the God who speaks into existence that which does not yet exist. Mighty warrior! Well, you know good and well Gideon was not a mighty warrior. But God, who is the master of war, entered into him and he became Amen. something he was not capable of on his own. Amen. Are you hearing me today, saints? Elijah's epic stand for God. Well, it is only paralleled with one other prophet named Moses. Some of the more studious in the room may realize that these two men are not yet finished with their story of how the Lord is a mighty warrior inside of them. What you should take note of at this moment, though, is that all of these great leaders recognized how greatly insufficient they were in desert-like circumstances. In fact, it was the catalyst. Whether the desert was of their own making or the making of men around them, they all picked up a new song of deliverance when they cried out to He who is a warrior and who leads the people that He redeemed. Elijah's disciples, the officers who led in His place, well, they were some of the most zealous, powerful, remarkable men of God in all of the word. This is because of the manner in which Elijah was birthed in desperation. Church, God is calling this group of people to be officers. He's calling to us, and we are walking you through a process to show you how officers are birthed, how leaders are made. See, each of these men that we've just discussed with you were made. You could say that they were born again as leaders in the midst of difficult outward circumstances, but it was the internal war to choose the good deposit that made them into who they are. Amen. Having won the internal war, it was impossible for the outward circumstances to overcome them. Come on. you got to understand that that is the cadence that God is setting for us in this house. Yeah. He is teaching you how. He's saying, march to my beat. Step in step with the Spirit so that you too can have the most important victories, which are the internal, that allow the external to come about. Now, we want to take a minute with you to continue to review this idea of how leaders are born by reviewing the history of the Levites with you. And then we're going to narrow in on a prophetic message to this church. Let's take a look at this next slide together. Are you all with us today? With you. This is an important day in this, the history of this church. 
This is important that we get these principles. You can see the making of the Levites. From Genesis 49 and verse 7, Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce for their wrath. You can see through Exodus 32, starting in verse 26, So he stood at the entrance to the camp and said, Whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And all the Levites rallied to him. In Deuteronomy 33, you can see that he said, he said of his own father and mother, I have no regard for them. Speaking of the descendants of Levi, in Genesis 49, we get the picture of Levi the man. In Exodus 32, you see a story and you understand the truth of the group of people, the Levites. And then in Deuteronomy 33, you see an eternal promise that has been given to them. You know what? Levi's origins weren't exactly pure as the driven snoo. No. In the genesis of all things, he receives from his father a reprimand due to his internal failure that he had regarding the control of his own emotions. In the event relating to his sister, Dinah, and the town of Shechem. This internal failure resulted in plain, obvious, and frankly, obscene external failure. The clear indication in the story is that Levi sinned by joining along with Simeon's misplaced wrath. It is interesting to note that the name Levi means joining in the original language. However, just like Israel journeying through the desert under the leadership of Aaron and Moses, this was not the only battle that Levi would face. Praise God. There's a phenomenon that exists among men who feel they have achieved something. Oh, I've really done it in there and done oh, that. Oh, yeah. They fight to remain in those glory moments, unchallenged, or to be remembered by that one singular success, that touchdown pass that they caught back in 1972. <laughs> However... When you have utterly failed, you are ecstatic about being in another fight. You oh, have another opportunity. On. And you are not at all threatened by another test that's then going to face you. You view another test as a, a chance to then find success at this time. Exodus 32 was such a moment for the tribe of Levi. Come on. He began by conquering the internal foe that had devastated him last time. Instead of joining his brother and being led by his own emotions, he chose to join the Lord and his representative, Moses. Come on. This was the beginning of the turning point for Levi. After conquering his own internal war, he won the outward battle, preventing the judgment of God from falling on all of Israel. This was the beginning of a long and righteous career that would have many, many hurdles ahead of it. Saints, the truth of the matter is that Levi was always designed by God to be moved by injustice when he saw it. But the internal battle for him began with the decision to join to the word of God or his own perception of justice. You can see this principle typified by men we have already discussed together. Like Moses, a son or descendant of Levi, who both failed and succeeded in this principle in Egypt and in the deliverance of God's people as well as Phineas, who was moved rightly by injustice and joined to the word of God above all other attachments. 
Deuteronomy 33 is a lasting blessing that calls all Levites who were called to live up to a blessing that was both true and needed to become true about them. They were called to join to the holy word of God, to join to the holy word of God before father, before mother, before brothers and children. See, within this blessing, there is a promise of external victory and that they would teach all Israel and that their adversaries would be stricken down in a particular location because of the choice to join with God's word above all other attachments. Say with us, church. Win the internal. Win the internal. One more time. Win the internal. Win the internal. The external is a given. The external is a given. Saints, when we win the internal battle, we choose to join to the word of God. Well, you need not worry about external adversaries. God has them covered in a specific location. The sad reality is that like many in this room, the history of Levi is filled with the great call of God, and yet they did not always live up to it. Within Levi, the priest had a special function, and we told you we would not be discussing Exodus 19 and the call for officers to be priests, but it seems to be that it's worth at least discussing some of the differences between those who know how to perform the service and go through the motions and those who truly have the Lord as their possession. We're going to pick up with you in Ezekiel 44. As we do that, you need to know that we are around the time of the Babylonian captivity. The eye of Adonai is still on his son Levi. He has the same call and propensity to lose on an internal level if he does not join strictly with God's word above all else. Turn with us to Ezekiel chapter 44. We're going to pick it up in verse 5. The Lord said to me, son of man, look carefully. Listen closely. Give attention to everything I tell you concerning all the regulations and instructions regarding the temple of the Lord. Give attention to the entrance to the temple and all the exits of the sanctuary. This passage is uh, something that your pastors have been ruminating on and that we believe has direct and immediate implications for this body, as well as implications for the future of the officers in this house. In English, the phrase is, look carefully, listen closely, give attention, and then later on, give attention, serve to highlight the importance of the statements that are to follow that Ezekiel is going to give. But the Hebrew is even more emphatic than what we hear that as in English. It is something to the effect of, hey, look with your eyes. Eyeballs. Listen with your ears and set your heart. Give attention with your heart. And then a second time, give attention with your heart to what is being said. Ezekiel is in a day when the promises for Israel are still alive and well, but the unfaithfulness of men has determined to what extent they will participate in those promises. We want you to skip down to verse 10 with us and see how this continues. Are you looking this morning, church? Are you listening? Are you giving attention with your heart? We're coming to an important passage here in Exodus, I mean Ezekiel 44. Let's pick up in verse 10. The Levites who went far from me when Israel went astray and who wandered from me after their idols must bear the consequences of their sin. They must serve in my sanctuary. 
having charge of the gates of the temple and serving in it. They may slaughter the burnt offerings and sacrifices for the people and stand before the people and serve them. But because they served them in the presence of their idols and made the people of Israel fall into sin, therefore I have sworn with uplifted hand that they must bear the consequences of their sin, declares the sovereign Lord. They are not to come near to serve me as priest or come near any of my holy things or my most holy offerings. They must bear the shame of their detestable practices. The Levites serve as an example for all generations who wish to draw near to the Lord. Levi was unequivocally called but the members of the tribe that persisted in going their own way, they persisted in joining themselves to idols rather than solely to God's word, or in other words, the Levites that mixed the things of God with the things of this world, were never allowed to enter his presence again. That's a weighty matter. That's a real consequence. There is one standard for all men from an eternal and unbending God. Deeds done in ignorance, however, are punished with few blows. Deeds done deliberately, done in the full knowledge of Christ's call for purification, are dealt with many and the worst of blows. These sons of Levi do have the hope of continued service to the people, but are permanently deprived of any spiritual office in God's presence. If that doesn't get your attention, if that doesn't awaken and stir you, it may be too late for you. But if it does get your attention, yes. if it does grab your soul, then listen intently to what separate, separate out a few Levites from a different destiny. Skipping down to verse 15. But the Levitical priest or descendants of Zadok, and who guarded my sanctuary when the Israelites went astray from me, are to come near to minister before me. They are to stand before me to offer sacrifices of fat and blood, declares the Sovereign Lord. They alone are to enter my sanctuary. They alone are to come near my table to minister before me and serve me as guards. See, Levi was always called to guard the word of God above all else. And the Levites that stayed in step with, that matched the cadence of the Lord's marching orders. Well, those Levites were given the gift of an eternal place in his presence. Oh, in the house of God, to hear the cadence of his marching. What it is to know the direction that he is going and be presented with the choice. To deliberately mix the idolatry of the past or to purify in the present. See, a hiatus, a little sleep, a little slumber may cost you far more than you realize when the voice of God is calling you to pick up the pace. Ignoring his war drum that is telling you when to march. May in God's mercy still allow you to do some work, but it will deprive you of the inheritance of a real priest the actual deep presence of God until the day that you die. The Levites who were able to win these internal battles and follow the cadence that God was setting, 
had a special place in the presence of God. The Levites who did not win the internal battles, who did not stay in step with the Spirit, were given the punishment of being around the things of God, but never being able to enter His presence. Can you hear the cadence that God is setting? He's setting a cadence, and those who will follow him will be able to have the gift of the eternal presence of God. They will be able to be close to God instead of just going through the motions and looking like you have a relationship with God, but you have only come to serve as a job or as a task. This goes on and is something beautiful for the descendants of Zadok. Out of the Levites, we've narrowed it down to just Zadok and his sons. In verse 28 of Ezekiel 44, I am to be the only inheritance the priest has. Have. You are to give them no possession in Israel. I will be their possession. Church, these priests are defined by having won the internal war to the fullest extent. These descendants of Zadok, They held on to nothing for themselves. And in return, nothing of the Lord was withheld from them. The promise of Deuteronomy 33 was true for them. Somebody say for them. For them. They will teach the decrees of God to Israel, and the loins of those who rise up against them will be struck down permanently. Because they won the internal war, they will also were assured of winning the external war. Isaiah 42 verse 21 says, It pleased the Lord for the sake of his righteousness, to make his law great and glorious. Glorious. Somebody say glorious. Glorious. These Levites were increasingly stripped of everything. But the word with, uh, but the word, along with the word that they were, I'm sorry. They were stripped of everything but the word. And as they were stripped of everything but the word, the more that the word became great and glorious, the more that they were made glorious along with it. These Levites desired to match the cadence of God, and the cadence of God demanded that they press through the ever-narrowing door. In the end, they were left with no covenants, but their covenant with the Lord and with the Lord's people. I'm sure the other Levites who were permanently barred from intimacy of the Lord's presence believed that they were catching up or warming up to the Lord's cadence. I'll get there. I'll get there eventually. Proverbs 10.24 says that the desire of the righteous is granted, but the fear of the wicked will come upon them. Church, do you desire to be an officer? Yes. We're going to have to see. Because if you really desire it, God will cause that to be granted. He will. So it's time to look with our eyes. It's time to listen with our ears. It's time to give attention with your heart to what is required for those in this room who desire to be officers. You've heard us ask you several times, do you desire to be an officer? And your heart's cry is yes. So we're going to give you some very tangible points to target it. Our next slide slide will begin to help summarize the cadence God has called our body to. Much in the same way Ezekiel describes the priest. Let's pull up the next slide. These are qualifications of an officer. And then before verse 2 here, 
the way it describes or the way it leads off in 1 Timothy 3, 1, it gives us a trustworthy saying. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. What you desire is a noble, honorable task. But this is what is required. I'm going to read the slide to you. This is what a noble task is. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. That is noble. The husband of but one wife. That is noble. Sober-minded. That is noble. Self-controlled. That is noble. Respectable. Hospitable. Able to teach. Not a drunkard. Not violent. But gentle. That is noble. Not quarrelsome. Not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well. That is noble. With all dignity. Keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders. That is noble. So that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. We want to direct you in your personal studies with your own families to sit down and review each qualifier that's listed here, investigating both the original language and, most importantly, the original application for your daily living. Church, given that we are uh, an hour and five minutes into this sermon and we actually have more to share with you, we would like to focus on five qualifiers that are of immediate importance. Somebody say five. Five. The first one that we would like to show in its nobility is being above reproach. You cannot have behavior that leaves you open to attack, open to control, or open to manipulation. This is especially true in your own home. To let you know and put it bluntly, men will not follow other men who are losing or being manipulated due to their inability to set and hold to a righteous standard. You cannot have behavior that can be subject to cancellation as in your actions contradicting the truth of God's word or your own commitments being fickle or flippant. To be above reproach means that in every area of your actions, it must be demonstrable that you are guarding the word of God above all else. Come on. Second of the five that we're going to share with you is sober-minded. Sober in the sense that you're able to neuthetically evaluate what is justice based upon what God's word says? This is often in contradiction to intoxicating emotions that you have. So once again, like Levi, this first shows up if your mother, father, brothers, close friends, and especially your children, and how you are able to soberly judge what is God's justice and not your own towards them. Now, we're going to move on to our third, but just in case you were confused, Paul lists not a drunkard. Sober-minded is distinctly different than the influence of alcohol, although those emotions are equally intoxicating. Our third is not quarrelsome. To be an officer, you must learn to be capable of war, certainly. Can anybody say amen to that? Amen. But Paul says here that you must, not be you must be inclined towards peace and right order, and you must not be inclined, whether verbally, physically, or in the confines of your own mind, to go to war. Not quarrelsome. To be an officer in God's house, 
you have to desire and be naturally inclined through training towards peace and right order and not towards war with your fellow man. Another of the noble qualifications of leaders that we want to point out is manage. Could you describe, could you be described as a king or a priest who rules over his people well? Now, the word manage here does not carry the modern semantic drift as in manage the crazy or, you know, Xanax the difficult. Paul is speaking about a man who cares for the intimate details of his kingdom from the least to the greatest and ensures that it is cared for and demands, somebody say demands, demands that it is growing. The fifth item, well thought of by outsiders. Your behavior outside of these walls must evidence to your boss, your coworkers, and those under your jurisdiction that your character and way of life are both good and desirable to emulate. Good and desirable. You know what? It, it is a mistake to be a hard worker, someone who just busts their rear end while working within the confines of this church body, but be an absolute lazy bum and difficult person to work with in your place of employment. It's a good word. It has to be a character that demonstrates what is good and desirable to replicate, both in here and out there. So think of the biblical character, Boaz, or another way to say it, Bosch. These men who were known and loved for their good character were respected by the elders at the city gate and simultaneously respected by the lowly workers in the fields. So by the way, your character primarily shows up in your work ethic and outside of the view of those that you really want the affirmation from the most. Definition of integrity. Verse 8 brings us to a second slide. Once again, qualifications of an officer. Deacons, likewise, as in relating to every qualifier that was above, must be dignified, not double-tongued, snake-like, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they have proved themselves. Their wives... Likewise, must be dignified, not slanders, but sober-minded, free from the control of intoxicating emotions, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is Christ Jesus. Church, there is one body with many parts, and all are equally needed to function at the capacity to which Christ has called us. Amen. God is calling for many types of officers in the military of God. All are called to march to the cadence of what he has set in their varying functions. Some who are responsible for directly overseeing the lives of families of the church, and some who are officers of tasks, duties, and objectives of the church. All are leading men in their varying fields who must be capable of making more leaders just like them. Are right, you still awake, church? Yeah. You're still alive! Yeah. 
Let's give you some encouragement. As you cling to the word of God, guard the word of God above all else. Everyone say above all else. Above, above all, all else. In doing so, the Lord will become a warrior inside of you. Amen. Secondly, as you align your desires with God's above all others. Say that again, above all others. Above, above all, all others. others. Including yourself. You can count on the desires to then be granted. Amen. Like the Levites in Ezekiel 44, if you guard the word in practice, not just pretense, it will make you demonstrably more and more glorious, just like his word is. See, what the Lord of the harvest is looking for are men like the man of Acts 6, men who demonstrate the qualifications listed in 1 Timothy 3. I'm going to read to you out of Acts 6, 3 and 4. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. Included in these officers of the early church was a man named Stephen. The Lord of the harvest is looking for men who are full of the Spirit, full of wisdom or all wisdom, men who are above reproach, Men are sober-minded, men who are not quarrelsome, rule well, and are well thought of by outsiders, and teach their wives to be the same way. This is what the Lord wants in this house, LCM. He is calling for men who will guard the word of God above all else and be made glorious along with the word of God. Being made glorious along with the word is exactly what happens with Stephen in verse 15. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. See, Stephen was made glorious, radiant even, just like Moses, because he held to the word of God in his daily living and remained faithful to the word even until his final day. Come on. See, when you cling to the word of God, the enemy has no hold over you. When you cling to the word of God, the word of God made flesh is a warrior in you. When, you. when your desire is the word and nothing else, you will have the Lord as an internal inheritance. Come on. Church, can you hear the cadence that God is calling us to march to? Even putting this together, we as your pastors were inspired. We were convicted. I mean, there were times where we had to stand and get up and walk away from what we were doing because we know the importance and the reality. We are determined to call out to the one who will lead the people he redeemed asking for transformation. In light of that image of transformation, the book of Revelation presents a city made up of men and women who have held to the word unto death. And it is glorious just like God's word is. In the life of every man who truly wants to hold to the word of God and becomes glorious along with the word is the ever-present thought, you're not capable of this. You're not worthy of this. If you try, it's a certainty you're just going to be disqualified. In fact, we can personally testify that such demonic and sinful attacks are always present. Even among us standing here up on stage. In this house, we have to learn something very important. We must learn to shut out the lies of the enemy. And take our stand on the character of God. Yes. 
He will be a warrior inside of us. And he will lead the people he redeemed if we cling to his word. There have been several words and prophecies in our body that center around God's desire to raise up harvesters in this house. Officers who can raise up other leaders. Did you hear this morning the two prophetic words that came forth? Calling us to the character of God. Calling us to rise up and grow in what we have been given responsibility for. We have a slide for you that may help bring this into perspective. The slide is titled Urgency of the Harvest. You're going to notice that each gospel is listed on the slide. Starting in Matthew 9, Jesus then said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Have you ever noticed that there is no command from Jesus to pray for souls? There is no command from Jesus to ask for men to be born again. But there is a command from Jesus to ask the Lord of the harvest to raise up harvesters who will go out into the field. Mark 4, 29 says, as soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. Saints, it has already come. And Mark makes that point clearly. Luke 10, 2 says, he told them the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. Then John 4, verse 35. Don't you have a saying? It is four months until the harvest. I tell you, as in the word of God, instead of the sayings of men, I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Saints, what many of you may not have realized, is it the four Gospels? Well, these things do not occur when one might expect. These statements are not made by our Lord and Savior standing at the temple steps, near the seat of rabbinic learning, or even in Jerusalem itself. They were all made within the general vicinity of the Lake of Galilee or in Samaritan areas. When you begin to consider this, it reveals an astounding truth to men of God. The astounding truth is that Jesus, the son of David, the Judean of Judeans, the one who is destined to inherit the city that is called the city of David, did not call to raise up harvesters in the city of Jerusalem. Instead, he chose the areas of little account. The areas of little worth in the eyes of this world. He chose men who may be considered good for nothing but men who also wanted nothing but the Lord himself. Amen. Saints, I hope you're hearing me today. We have to decide what kind of Levite we will be. Those who have all of the activity of the priesthood, those who move, those who have words from the Lord and prophesy, but do not have his presence in their words. Or those who have left all, given all, who have not retained their own priorities, prerogatives, and purposes, so that they might have God and his presence as their lasting inheritance. Saints, we can testify that in this time, personally, we are greatly encouraged to realize that our good king has always raised up harvesters from the areas and the men of little to no account other than they heard the word of God and they chose to cling to the word of God. Amen. Come on now, church. The other thing that you should notice on your screen here is that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all emphasize that the harvest is now. Everybody say now. now. 
now. And we cannot gradually work our way up, warm our way up to the cadence of God's war drum. See, we can hear the Spirit of God saying to us today, look with your eyes, listen with your ears, give attention with your heart at the fields that are ripe for harvest now. Somebody now. say now. Now. There is no longer time for sitting on the sidelines. There's no longer time for being negligent in your own home and little areas of your life expecting someone else to have to step in to correct it when it gets out of control for you. We have to decide whether we want the motions of the temple movement or we want the powerful presence of God. Our choice is to hold to the word of God because that is what will make us glorious. Church, do you have the word of God in your hands right now? Yes. Cling to it and lift it up. Let me see it. Do you want to be officers in this house? Yes. Let that be everything that your life is attached to. Let it be every direction of every emotion and thought. Let it direct your steps and guide your very life. Turn with me in that word that you are clinging to, to Numbers chapter 31, and say cadence as you turn. We're going to pick up in verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, take vengeance on the Midianites for the Israelites. After that, you will be gathered to your people. Our God is saying, it is time. The enemies of God have held captives for far too long. There is a harvest that he desires to bring in, and it cannot be brought in peacefully. It will require officers leading men into battle. Officers who know how to train up other leaders like themselves. It is time that the majority in this church joins the minority in all out, hour by hour, daily battle to see their lives set free, trained up, and equipped, armed for the warfare that lies ahead. Verse 3 says, so Moses said to the people, we are saying to you, arm some of your men to go to war against the Midianites and to carry out the Lord's vengeance on them. Saints, we will not be disobedient to the voice of the Lord or the instruction of Moses. Both the word and the spirit are saying in this room, arm the men and do it now. We cannot wait another day. We cannot wait another week. We cannot warm up to the cadence of God. It is time to call out both the armaments and the warrior priests that exist within this body. The church, the one that you sit in right now, we are better prepared, better equipped, and more battle ready. But it seems that it is necessary for us men to rattle your cage for a bit. So we know you have what you need. We know that there is a warrior inside of you. But too many sinful trappings, too many concerns, concerns about the pace your wife is willing to move with you, how your children will end up, have caged the warrior inside of you. Saints, what we want you to do today is let the lion that is the word of God out inside of you. It is time that this body shows what it is made for, that it's not a select few, that the lion of the word of God is made manifest in all of you. We were not made for easier times. We do not want everything to be all right. We were made to be officers, and officers were made for war, chaos, and battle. We know our position. We know our commanding officer. 
We know who our fellow soldiers are on our left and right, and we know our teams and their objectives. Now is the time to take our stand in the call of God. Listen to verse 4 and 5. Send into battle a thousand men from each of the tribes of Israel. So 12,000 men armed for battle. A thousand from each tribe were supplied from the clans of Israel. We want you to take a very important understanding right here. Not one tribe is exempt. Therefore, not one household, not one man is exempt from this process that we're declaring to you today. Are we speaking to you? Yes, we are speaking to every one of you. Because the cadence of the war drum must be followed by each and every man in this room. Not one is to be left out. Come on. Each becoming an officer capable of clinging to the word and teaching others to be able to do their same. First in their own lives, first in their own homes, and then in the harvest field that has been assigned to us. Amen. Church, we are amply supplied. We are armed for battle. Hallelujah. The warrior priests are rising up, and it is time to fight. There's nothing more beautiful than the living word of God in action. First in your own soul, then at war with sin and death in the world around you. Clinging to the word of God will cause us to that glorious city described in Revelation where there is a prince, a king, a monarch of the universe that is unparalleled and he will be our portion. Come on. Our present right now is to make war. And the prince of this world has no hold on what has been deposited inside of us. Church, we can hear the cadence. We're trying to get you to hear the cadence Amen. today. It's a representation that must come from every household, every tribe. And God has appointed men to sound the clear call to march into battle now. Let's go to verse 6. Moses sent them into battle. A thousand from each tribe, along with Phinehas, son of Eleazar, the priest, who took with him articles from the sanctuary and the trumpets for signaling. So get this. The minute you walk out of these doors today, you are being sent into battle. But you're not alone. You have men like Phinehas that are able to join you. Leadership of LCM, who are priestly warriors who have demonstrated the ability to spear their own sin. Men who are qualified officers and who are training you to do and be the same. Come on. Like Phinehas, you must bring with you that which is holy, that which is sacred. You must bring and cling to the word of God. This is the glorious privilege for qualified priests who have entered into conflict. The cadence of God's war drums, the signaling of his trumpets are all indicating something. There is no time to lose. There's an urgency that must be acted upon now. Saints, do you understand that there is no time to lose? I'm going to do this until I have you all, not just Nick Garagina. Do you understand that there is no time to lose? Yes. Can you hear the war drum today? Yes. Would our elder family stand for just a moment if the Browns, the Araginas would stand? Dangs. Can you see these men? Are they officers in this house? Are they conducting themselves in a manner that is worth emulating and replicating? Do you want to join them? Yes. 
then stand with them. Like Joshua standing before the people, I'm asking you, will you commit all? Will you give all to be what these men are and replicate it? Are you sure about that? Then have a seat. If we make good on our commitments to lose no more time, not to ease into this gospel way of life, but to jump in headlong, not to ease in at the pace that our family is comfortable with, that our own flesh is comfortable with. If we cling to the Word of God, He will make you glorious just like His Word is. He will be a mighty warrior in you. He will grant the desire of your heart, and if you don't have the right desires, ask Him for it. He will give them to you. This body is being made more glorious. But there is always the question, always the reality. While that is true about the trajectory of this body, it may not be true about you. Because the vast majority of the Levites in Ezekiel 44, those called of God, those who should be officers, should be priests, either didn't have the desire to become one because of what it would cost or really wanted to hold on to the world while the things of God. See, have you gotten into the habit of going through the motions instead of growing into the Word of God? Are you punishing yourself and your family with such low expectations that it is preventing you from becoming glorious? See, if your character isn't growing along with the Word of God into a glorious state, well, then we need to discuss, decide on what must be laid down so that you can pick up the glorious battle armaments that are yours in Christ. So what is narrowing you out of the priesthood rather than making you more glorious like the sons of Zadok who stood when all others didn't? Is it clinging to offenses instead of clinging to the word of God? Has that marked every month of your Christian walk and it's why you're immature and anything but glorious? Becoming ineffective due to a lack of use of the word of God? Or is it clinging to false expectations? Like the way you wanted things to work out instead of clinging to the Lord as your only portion. Not only acknowledging, but living like you are not owed a damn thing. You're just grateful to be a son of God. Or perhaps for many of you it's loose or partial adherence, which is no adherence at all when it comes down to it. To the teaching of the word of God and the teachings of this church. Before you answer that one in your heart too quickly, would the people who did your marriage counseling be proud of your average week if they really knew how you behaved after being taught how to become glorious? Have you been so sure of your own failure that you have failed to be faithful, as in consistent, long-suffering, wrestling through your own inability, trusting God to make it up? Have you been so sure of your own failure of your spouse that you've been failed to be faithful, consistent, and long-suffering? How about your own children or your disciples? You've been so sure of that kind of failure that you failed to be faithful, consistent, and long-suffering. 
convinced yourself that your wife won't succeed, so you punish her with your low expectations. Have you been so sure of your own inability? Have you been so sure of your own ability that you're just confident that God would not pick you as an officer, even though he always chose, chooses men of low esteem from the wrong places at every time? Remember, where he finds his harvesters from is in the outlying regions. It's in the areas of Galilee and Samaritan that he finds exactly who he's raising up. I'm going to take a minute as a pastor and tell you, Jaron, I don't care where you came from. God handpicked you, selected you, and he is making you into an officer and a minister in this house. Don't you believe for a minute that this word is about somebody else? It is about you, man of God. Have you regularly convinced yourself that there's malicious intent on the part of your brothers? Malicious intent on the part of your leaders towards you and your family. Or to be more specific, there's malicious intent on the God-ordained team towards you, your wife, and your children. Church, these are things that we have to battle with and win today, right now. We are confident that as you consider the high call of God in the misery of the life at the temple, that having nothing more than the motions of ministry as your inheritance, the Lord himself will highlight to you what definitely needs to change today for you to rise and to become an officer. That process of rising to become an officer requires the boldness and the tenacity for transparency and taking responsibility. Because think about that. An officer takes responsibility for other people's lives. And because of that great responsibility, there has to be a better and more finer attention to detail. That every decision that is made will cost something in someone else's life. It's an honor. It is a glorious thing to rise to the responsibility of being an officer. But you're going to have to conquer the internal enemies to do so. That's why God has been focusing in every life in this room what these in internal enemies are. It's because they're supposed to be conquered. They're supposed to be defeated. And we have external ones to then go and focus on. So Judah and Wade walked through a list Walk through a list of what these internal enemies have looked like. Internal within you or internal within your home or internal within your teams. I'm going to ask if you want to rise to become an officer, will you show the audacity to stand if any one of these were you? As your pastors, we do not want you to go through the motions the rest of your life while being absent from the presence of God. We want you to rise to become like those of the line of Zadok that continue the line and lineage of Phinehas and Levi. We want you to manage the things of God with dignity and honor before God. And it requires you to cling to his word at every moment. So while you're on your feet, there are three things that are about to happen. 
Pastor Matthew, who is a father in this house from the beginning, is going to read to you out of Colossians 1 and tell you what our aim for you is, what our desire for our sons and daughters in this house is. I'm going to read to you out of Isaiah, and we're going to talk about the war drum that will beat out internal thoughts, that will drown out the things that are rattling around between your ears that are the biggest enemies of God in your life. Then Pastor Wade is going to pray, and we're going to pray like men who are going to war. We will lay down what we must lay down, but we are laying it down for the purpose of picking up the armament of heaven. We've wasted enough time mourning our own failure. Let's be real, all of us are failures if it were not for the God who is a warrior in us. But today is a day that we will let him out. Beginning in Colossians. 128. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, we strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in us. Come on. This is our charge, church, under God, to present you fully mature in him. Whether old and at the end of your race or you're just getting started, God is instructing us with all wisdom. And the wisdom we need today is a call to arms. We can testify. Christ's energy is powerfully working inside of us. And it would be a great help if you would labor to help us in the endeavor to present you mature in Christ. Will you help us present you as mature? You're encouraging your pastors. Isaiah 30, verse 32, is the beating heart of what we're sharing with you. Every stroke the Lord lays on them with his punishing club will be to the music of timbrels and harps as he fights them in battle with the blows of his arm. Saints, the answer to the thoughts that have been devouring you are to tune your ears into God's war drum to recognize the cadence, the rhythm at which he is marching and he is striking the enemy if we will join him. Topheth has long been prepared. It has been made ready for the king. Its fire pit has been made deep and wide with an abundance of firewood. The breath of the Lord, like a stream of burning sulfur, sets it ablaze. Saints, if you have thoughts that have destroyed you, that have put you in conflict with your God-ordained team. If you could characterize your week as something other than sober-minded for large portions of it, although going through the motions of righteous actions but not really having his heart or his presence as evidenced by your team and the leaders in this body, I want to tell you that today you can throw that into the burning pit of sulfur and you can go up with God who is on the war path. You have a choice today, and it's to rise to the occasion. The curse of Miraz has no hold on this body because we will not be found waiting by the seashore while God does battle. We will stand and we will fight with our king. Church, we're not just calling you to walk away from something. We are calling you unto leadership. We are calling you up 
to the place of being officers, which means you have to win those internal battles and the external battles will be a given for each of us. Our God is a master of war. He is a warrior, and when we allow him, he and us will make us into the glorious type of warrior that he is. Raise your hands to the heavens now. Mighty God, the time is now. We hear the beating of the war drums, and we're saying we will respond. God, we will defeat the internal struggles, the internal enemies, so that the ex external may be a surety in our lives, God. We will no longer allow internal offense, internal fear, internal discouragement to be the marker of our life. We are rising up to the officers that you have declared that we will be. God, have your way in us and let the warrior that you are be in us and make us the same type of priestly warriors that you always create.